everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of The Shelfformers, the podcast about toys and how they impact our lives. I'm your host, Darby Harn, and with me as always is my good friend, Sugu. How are you doing, Sugu? Yeah, I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm, uh, shockingly, I'm still tired. I feel like this is a general sort of uh, lingering 2020 fatigue, uh, (laughs) even though we're into April, but... That's okay. We got a little bit of excitement, I think, today. On today's show, we'll be discussing, discussing, excuse me, it's 7 a.m., the new action figures from McFarlane Toys that are based on Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is the four-hour, yes, four-hour director's cut of the 2017 theatrical release. We'll be discussing these figures in the context of the movie. The movie it's depiction of superheroes, it's philosophy, and more. So we'll be talking all of that. So settle in. So let's just start right off, Sugu. So you and I, um, we kind of, uh, McFarlane, who's got the master DC, well, not the master, because I think Spin Toys has, um, they do the little guys. But McFarlane is kind of doing your Marvel Legends style, sort of DC figures from the movies and the comics. And they're doing a whole range from Snyder's Cut, which if this movie is your jam, this is really cool because they're kind of covering everybody. They're doing the Justice League, and the villains. So they're doing Darkseid and Steppenwolf, at least. What is your just general thoughts on these figures um, as as we kind of take a look at them? There's um, your basic regular figures, which are kind of the $20 style, and then Steppenwolf and Darkseid are coming in at 30 They're a little bit bigger. What are we thinking about these? <laughs> <laughs> I say that as if I don't know. <laughs> I think these toys are a perfect metaphor for the movie itself. Oh. <laughs> and apparently that is a controversial take uh, with the internet these days. I don't know if it's controversial, but it's definitely a take because I feel like this this movie, I will say real quick, we'll, and we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about the movie itself, but um i i would say the overall general reaction critically to the to the snyder cut has been mostly positive as opposed to the whedon uh theatrical cut which was very much in the negative but go on tell me tell me your thoughts about well, the toys. Uh, okay <laughs> so of the toys uh all right so I'm looking here at the, I guess, the recent reveal of four figures, Aquaman, Darkseid, Steppenwolf, and The Flash. And uh, I got something to say for each one of them. So let's start with, sure. uh, let's start with Aquaman. Who is that? Yeah, so <laughs> this this figure for, for, and we'll post a link uh, in the pod so you guys can kind of look at home if you're not familiar already, but... Um, this uh, otherwise is a good figure. Um, the, there's really nice um, sculpting on his, uh, this is his sort of armor from the end of the movie. And um, which I think is, is fairly cool. Um, but the, the portrait, uh, the sculpt, the head sculpt is not Jason Momoa, who is a very recognizable human being. This is a generic general. So he looks sort of like, to me, a sort of Christ-like person, <laughs> but you thought maybe someone else. I I think he looks like a young Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. So this is actually people don't know, but actually, Justice League is a prequel to the Santa Claus mythology. <laughs> Aquaman gives up the water 
stops talking to fish and just makes toys for kids. Exactly. He, he goes, he ends up, him and Mira, they go to the North Pole at some point and they're like, we're going to live a different life. So um, this is kind of emblematic, I think, of this toy range in general and McFarlane toys, which I, I to be fair, have been making some pretty cool toys lately. Yeah, I've always um, been kind of curious about them myself. Like I was like, oh, yeah. they look interesting. Should I, should I dip into them or not? Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind some. There was a Diana uh, Wonder Woman they did for Wonder Woman 84, and I didn't buy her for two reasons. One was these are all done in seven inch scale, which is an inch higher than your standard Marvel Legends Black series. And that, for me, renders them pointless. And then that was she, deliberate. The, that was deliberate and, and, and frankly, <laughs> uh, economically weird because uh, that, that they alienated a, a giant, massive audience by doing that. Yeah, and then six inches universal, right? That's Marvel Legends, that's G.I. Joe, that's Star Wars. Yeah, He Man. Um, it, it's basically standard transformers your little guys more or less fall into that same line too although that's a completely sort of different subject but that sort of standard six inch goes on your shelf guy right so these are these are um seven inches and the portraits are soft and they were on diana although that was in general that was a good figure um that same figure they're doing her for justice league so that she's just sort of a repack here but um the what was i saying oh jason momoa unrecognizable here i think the sculpt on barry the face sculpt uh, on the flash a little bit better uh he looks a little bit more it's half a face how hard is it (laughs) right on ezra uh (laughs) ezra miller plays the flash um i think this this particular figure exposes some of the problems with the costume in the movie in that and maybe I'll save it for later, but the, 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 the theory behind Barry's costume is sound in which the design of it is, um, is sort of based on the concept of the space shuttle, which is the space shuttle is, uh, is the, the bottom of it is tiled and the ceramic tile to protect it from the heat of reentry, which Barry runs at speeds in excess of the space shuttle. The space shuttle is going about 18,000 miles an hour when it comes back into the atmosphere some serious friction right Barry goes way faster than that in this movie he would need something like that so that theory is sound the problem is as the back of this figure shows and I don't know I don't I feel like this was different in the movie I don't remember this being a stark in the movie uh but Barry's backside literally is mostly exposed um his sort of the red armor which I, I just as a nerd comic book nerd he this armor is sort of a new interpretation for the the suit he doesn't wear armor uh in the comics um this uh this armor and the way he stitched it together with these sort of um lines what what is this stuff uh yeah that it it looks like it's strung together which in a homemade way, because Barry obviously doesn't have any money, but then you have to ask yourself, Barry, where'd you get the suit? So uh, questions, problems, concerns, but I, you know, the figure, figures, the, the figure is okay. Um, he did protect his crotch on the front side. Very important. You got to protect that. Um, made, sure, made sure to get that area. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally um, and, just outside of his crotch area. Like, just yeah. outside the front outside the cod piece it's it's 
it's all burning. I just have questions. I, I just, you know, the his front, if we're following the theory of the space shuttle, his entire, really to the back, because he's generating a human-sized cone of uh, friction, um, which is going to be, at the speed he's traveling at, is going to be, <laughs> uh, you know what, Darby, forget it. Let it go. Uh, let it go, as the uh, uh, they say in Frozen. But... Um, and then you have the bigger figures and sort of the, the slightly bigger characters in the movie. I, um, before we get to them, oh, let okay. me say my piece about the oh, Flash. Yeah. I hate the hands. I hate the hands. Okay. Like every other uh, action figure of sorts has like a slightly grasping hand or mm-hmm. a more of a neutral hand. His fingers are flayed out in such a way that, yeah. and they also added this like I guess you could call it armor, but it really looks like his hands belong to another figure, and that figure is from the collection from the clumps. Like they just look overly stuffed. I, they don't. Th- this is his hands. He's wearing fingerless gloves, which goes back to my concern that I abandoned a minute ago. But now you brought back is they're exposed. <laughs> so the theory, the theory, all, none of this works. So I'm just going to let it go. I, the whole theory of the costume, which is to defray this heat, it, it, it's problematic because his hands are the leading object that he's running with. And they would, I would assume, be the most in danger. Also his uh, face. His face, there's problems. Um, but though they don't look good, there's I think they're meant they're meant to sort of mimic. Ezra Miller has this very uh, exaggerated running that he does in the movie, right? It's sort okay. of and his his hands are sort of, which I actually kind of liked because it was he's sort of goofy that way. But I think it's supposed to be that. But the but it, in plastic, yeah. Now hang on for a second. Go to the picture where he's running outside of the box with the effects. Okay. Oh yeah, this figure came with speed yeah. effects speed effects which are just sort of sort of lightning kind of stuff yeah take a look at his right hand mm-hmm. it he's missing fingers yeah his flayed out fingers are gone mm, could be yeah. a could be a photoshop thing maybe I, i'm guessing it's a uh like like an auto crop they just yeah. selected the color <laughs> match and then they just cut it out yeah. But, you know, to your point about the flayed fingers, I think the flayed fingers works great in the movie. It adds character to mm-hmm. to uh, the Flash running. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. In an action figure, I don't think it works as well because, uh, well, all right, put it to you this way. I have the same problem with a lot of the Transformers um, mm-hmm. that I collect. So one of the reasons I collect the Masterpiece, for reasons, but one of the things I like about the masterpieces is that they have articulated fingers which means that you can Mm. you can add expression in their hands um and one of the reasons i don't touch the main line is because they're fixed in that fit uh that fist with a hole in it so you can peg in a gun right right to me you're losing that kind of uh character and here i don't think the flayed fingers are actually adding character to the figure no i i feel like i i feel like i know what they were going for this would have been a situation where i would have wanted where with the marvel legends you would get sort of alternate hands um you would get either fists or maybe with barry a sort of more uh rigid sort of uh you know sort of almost uh 
a chopping hand that would make more more aerodynamic um you know but he in but to be fair though in the movie he doesn't really do that he even at the end when he's sort of realizing his full power um his his, his hands are just very open and, and sort of wild which again i do like i did like that about barry because he's sort of um we'll get to the maybe the actual movie part a little bit here but um, i did like that about barry um but yeah fingers are weird they just don't look good they don't look they don't look right and and i think that's just sort of um kind of the overall theme here you know i think in general the sculpts are good you know as we look at steppenwolf as we look at dark side the sculpts are the, these are basically just digital renders of the cgi characters from the movie and so in that case they look fairly very faithful um they both have these tiny waists which are not sort of faithful to the movie um it's sort of weird Steppenwolf in particular Steppenwolf is a major sort of key aspect of the movie in the sense that not only is the he's the villain but he he got a complete redesign from the theatrical cut to this to the Snyder cut which was dramatic I would say the Snyder cut is the superior version that said um, he has this weird spiky costume that I think is doesn't make sense and then and in the toy it doesn't have to make sense he's he's from He's from the fourth world. It doesn't matter, but it, but in the toy, it looks just weird. Uh, I'll be honest. The Snyder cut version of Steppenwolf doesn't work for me as a on the whole. Mm-hmm. I don't really like his armor as a whole. I think the spikes do not work for me in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, the Whedon cut wasn't better. It was just plain. So I think it was generic. Yeah. Yeah. So I think some. I don't know, mix or hybrid of the two. Like, I like Steppenwolf Snyder cut face sculpt more, where the armor is actually covering sure. a lot more of his face. Um, I think that works, but the Whedon, the Whedon more generic, but also plain. The, the spikes were never that intimidating to me in the movie. When I looked at him, like, oh, he's going to kill himself. Yeah, you know, poke himself. Like that armor is there to protect himself as opposed to be intimidating, right? So yeah. then this toy came out or was announced, and oh my god, those spikes look terrible. To me, they look like flashing errors. It, yeah. <laughs> they 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 look they in, in plastic, they they look they're capturing the in the movie they could these the what would you call them, the slats the spikes of his armor are constantly moving yeah and, and so it's sort of a different sort of effect which itself i i i didn't like but that that's just me but in the toy um they they don't they it's sort of frozen in time it's frozen in a moment so he seems to be in some respects <laughs> it, there's no organization to it so it's random yeah and so it's sort of in a in a design that is super busy to begin with it's just another thing that's just busy i'd say steppenwolf gets lost in this and this is just sort of to me this just reads a sort of digital blah yeah it's just it's just noise absolutely um and but as a figure like if if you like steppenwolf um you're probably gonna like this toy he's fairly big he's chunky but he's he does this weird thing and Darkseid does too, where they have these, and this is just a 
a fault I'm going to say of the actual toy. Uh, they have these disappearing wastes. And so in Dark Side, it's even more dramatic where he's got his entire, what would you say, uh, ribcage is just, and then the rest of it is, is. He's wearing a corset, man. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's one way of putting it. Um, it. They did the torso joint. In Marvel Legends, this is a fairly they all have these ball jointed torsos, which allows them to move. Um, They're doing the same thing here, but his entire chest is this separated. There's, it's not seamless where it is Marvel legends, where the two pieces, the upper and lower body, they sit on top of each other. This sits on top of the lower torso, but there's a gap of, I would say what a centimeter. Yeah. Terrible. It looks, it looks, awful it's not consistent with the movie at all or human anatomy <laughs> dark side is not human but you know what i mean um it looks terrible the portrait the, the head sculpt is fairly good this is the most accurate one from the movies but that's just because dark side exists solely as a computer generated character so they just popped him right out of the computer no problem there see um, i i have a problem with that face sculpt it's because okay. even though it's a th- uh, straight from the 3d Mm-hmm. His and uh, his film sculpt has so much uh, little detail mm. in it that when you when you miniaturize it and make it into a apparently seven inch figure or I guess seven and a half inch figure, mm-hmm. um, all that detail that's supposed to be there gets lost and it just looks muddied in the plastic and it, sure you know what I what I told you earlier is that it looks like someone took his face and just ran it along the concrete to give it texture. Like it was casted smooth and then they just pockmarked it. Yeah. Which there, there's some as much detail as there is in this figure. And and to be fair, there is, there is some, um, it's also very soft. And I think that comes out a little bit in what you're talking about the face sculpt. I think in general, for me, the face sculpt is pretty good. Um, It lacks the sort of softness, and also in the movie, there is a gap, a deliberate gap between Darkseid and his, he's not quite a helmet, but he sort of has this sort of thing that goes around his cheeks and his chin. And in the movie, there is this sort of gap that is between the lower jaw and the, the helmet that is sort of straight out of Kirby, the original Kirby drawing that I actually, just as a nerd, Kirby nerd, I really liked. That's not here in the toy. The other thing is, is in the movie, they had the sort of Omega symbol emblazoned on his chest here it's just this indefinite smudge and it looks like someone pressed their thumb into the plastic as it was cooling <laughs> i mean it doesn't it doesn't look like anything we um, should buy one and do a try and do a scan and see if we can get a fingerprint there nice <laughs> that's that'll be sort of uh, phase two of our podcast is we'll actually <laughs> we'll actually hate buy these toys just to tear them apart um figuratively and literally but um and this version of dark side just to um be clear is from the what would you call it the flashback to the battle um the sort of lord of the rings battle which i want to talk about in the context of the movie uh between uh the forces of apocalypse and the gathered forces of early earth middle earth whatever era it was you have the you 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 have the greek gods you have the amazons you have the atlanteans you have the forces of men they come together 
Ares, uh, the God of War. Basically, every ancient mythology that Zack Snyder had the imagination to throw in there. Yeah, he kind of covers a lot of stuff. Um, and then in he, the Dark Side, who is ostensibly the most powerful dude, one of the most powerful dudes in the universe, and then also um, the one, the biggest bad in the DC universe, gets into a fight with Ares, the God of War, and Ares buries his uh axe in dark side's shoulder and that's it folks um that's all she wrote that's a problem for the movie for me and, and we'll talk about that maybe in a bit but um it'd be kind of cool i suppose if you're into this scene and into these figures if they did aries as well um which was a nice little cameo david thulis who played aries in the first wonder woman movie um quite a few cameos in that scene um and then I think that's everybody that we're looking at here. Can I make a quick point back up to Steppenwolf? Yeah. What is going on with his feet? They oh. look terrible. Let's look at the feet. Do we got some tiny little Rob Liefeld feet? We do. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, I want to say this is not, this is different from the movie, but you know what? I don't know. I, I can't recall spending any time looking at his feet. Oh man, those feet are atrocious. They look like it looks like even the armor didn't want to go down and and cover it. Like the armor's like, nope, I'm not touching yeah. those things. Yeah, the armor's <laughs> like, oh no, oh dear. Um, yeah, another strange little design quirk. Um, but yeah, there's lots of weird things. Which these are part of the toy, and then all, these are all just to the designs of the movie, which. I think in general, the designs in the movie and in the Snyder Cut don't work. I will say, though, there are some really good designs that have come out of this uh, sort of the Snyder verse. I would say the Wonder Woman costume is far and away the best. Um, and it's it's the best look she's ever had in the comics or live actions. It, 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 it's and it, it, it was so good that the comics immediately stole it as they should have. Um, and she's basically been wearing it since what was it, 2013, 2014, whenever she popped up for the first time in the in the movies. Oh, uh, you mean Batman versus Superman? Batman versus Superman. So they, okay. they saw that and they're like, nope, that's <coughs> infinitely better than what we've been doing. Um, so she's um, been in that for ever since, yeah. So that means that the costume from Wonder Woman movie is the same. Essentially, yeah. I the 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 major difference between the Snyder version and the Patty Jenkins movies is that there's actual color in the Patty Jenkins ones, right. which is a problem in general with the Snyder verse, which they, they're so desaturated and they're so colorless. Everything is rendered dark, oh, um, and so. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I just I have to say that's so, for myself, my home viewing experience, if you will. Um, I don't have a theater in my home. I don't have a dark room where uh, the only light is coming from the from the TV or mm -hmm. from the movie. I have a regular room that I, I have to watch that movie in. And it was so hard to see what was happening. It is uh, the Snyder Cut as we sort of transition into it, because I, I think we want to talk about the movie. We. Um, that uh, we both watched now it came out last week or the week before i forget i don't know i feel like i've been watching it ever since um it's four hours and two minutes long it's four hours and two minutes long um 
the just one of the things that I, I just sort of and this is just Snyder's style with these movies is everything is just dark. Everything is, is um, uh, grayscale and um, that that's his thing. I, you, you could argue it's it's, it's a take. I, I, you know, it's, it's his vision. It's I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I think in context to these particular characters, especially vis-a-vis Wonder Woman uh, and Superman, uh, these are characters who are, and, and if, if he were just making Snyder or just making a Batman movie, it'd be perfectly fine. When you have characters like Superman and Wonder Woman, uh, it doesn't make a ton of sense. And you could argue that with some of these other guys, Barry as well. So, but before we kind of get into that, it, you know, well, look, um, I, I yeah. gotta say, I mean, you know, one of the reasons that Star Wars works, the and I'm talking about the original trilogy, mm-hmm. is because you had uh, Marsha Lucas. Marsha Lucas, uh, George Lucas' former wife, yes. And more importantly, the editor. She was one of the editors, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she was the one that was able to rein in George Lucas's vision into something coherent. She is famously, infamously underrated uh, in the... Um uh origin of star wars i I, you know she um there's some really good anecdotes um that come out of sort of the making of books um that sort of show her you know not just in the editing room but in the script stage and you know sort of talking him down off of his cliffs which as you get into the into the prequels there's no one really there to do that and so his more sort of uh out there ideas and and i don't want to dunk on his sort of the ideas because you know i in general i like them but you see you see the absence of her you see the absence of gary kurtz you see the absence of lawrence uh, lawrence kasdan of all these sort of other voices in the original trilogy that aren't there there's nobody telling george no except for rob coleman famously in attack of the clones in the behind the scenes documentary when george is like and then yoda's going to fight dooku and then it's going to be like this. And Rob Coleman's like, you cannot do that. <laughs> it cannot just be he walks in and they do. No, you got to build up to fucking Yoda fighting. So um, Rob Coleman was able at least to try to engineer that scene in a way that wasn't completely <laughs> slapstick. <laughs> yeah, even, even so, it was still slapstick. I remember watching that scene, I want to yeah. say in theaters. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, I just burst out laughing because I'm like, what is this? But yeah. I don't want to rip on Star Wars. I just want to use, use that as a vehicle to talk about mm-hmm. the importance of editors. And for our audience members, our aspiring writers, get an editor. Like, bar none, get an editor. Um, Perspective is everything. <sighs> um, even if it's just to, well... Let me back up. I, um, the yeah, as a as a writer in any scale, uh, you're writing movies as we're talking about today, or books, or what have you. Yeah, you you need feedback. You need editor. Don't don't <laughs> don't don't write a novel and and then publish it online or on your blog or whatever and think it's the best thing ever. It probably is. Maybe it is. Maybe you're just one of those people. But um, and editor exa- confirm it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just um, that's maybe uh, we maybe we can talk about it at some point in terms of sort of um, writing and editing. But for Zack Snyder, I think to your point, um, 
the well back up just a little bit more actually with with the problem with the the theatrical cut in 2017 and i don't want to get into the history too much of this movie except to say just to frame it for people who maybe don't know is Zack Snyder had made Man of Steel and had made Batman versus Superman. These are two movies that did not do to, they did not meet the expectations, I guess, uh, financially or critically of Warner's. And so as they came into Justice League, which was the third film in the sequence, there was a great deal of um, buyer's remorse on Warner's part. And they were already applying pressure to Zack Snyder as he's acknowledged many times in interviews in terms of trying to make Justice League a brighter, lighter movie. Um, and that led to them bringing in Joss Whedon to punch up the script, which is initially only what Joss Whedon was going to do. And then through a series of circumstances that were very unfortunate, which included the passing of Zack Snyder's daughter, Zack Snyder left the film, uh, the, the original Justice League film, Joss Whedon, oversaw some reshoots, which I I think led to a very botched Frankenstein theatrical cut in 2017. And Snyder was basically out. And from, but from that moment though, there was sort of this campaign on the part of fans of Snyder and these movies to release the Snyder cut because Snyder was like, there is, there is a version of my movie. Now that comes with an asterisk, frankly, because when he says there was a version of his movie, he never actually finished a cut. It wasn't finished because he spent $70 million in about a year finishing his movie. It was never finished. And I don't, you know, the reason that this is labeled as Zack Snyder's Justice League and not the Snyder cut is because nothing was cut out of this movie. This is just an assembly cut. This is every frame of film that he shot (laughs) that he just, he just put on screen. And it's it's repetitive and it's redundant and has all the the the, the bumpy parts, the clunky parts of a movie that's not edited. Yeah. Um, but this is his movie. It's his vision. This is what he, as he saw it. And kudos to him. And I do want to. Say, I'm glad for him that he got to finish his movie the way that he wanted to do. And I'm glad for the fans who campaigned for this because that's they achieved an amazing thing. This was something that was never ever going to happen. You know, when when these situations in Hollywood happen where the director is removed and they're sort of the mythical, their version of the movie generally stays in the vault. You don't ever see this. So and they were able to do this in just a few years and circumstances, you know, their their efforts combined with the circumstances of HBO needing to have content, frankly, for HBO Max and then also COVID um, having this sort of lack of stuff happening that they needed to sort of fill a space they all those things sort of conspired together to produce the Snyder cut so good for him good for them honestly that said not my not my movie man this is not I'm not haven't been a fan of Snyder from the beginning I've been very um I dislike his take on these characters in this universe Superman in particular and that just this is a better movie than 2017 um the 2017 version um but it all of those problems are inherent in this movie and not there there are numerous problems in this movie but what do you think Sugu? sort of overall what did you think of it so i think you and i talked about this off off the podcast once 
as a blip moment <laughs> blip, uh, several a uh, couple weeks ago, but mm. um, there should be something that's in between Snyder's version and the Whedon version. Um, both of them are a mismatch of ideas, but from two different sources, right? Whedon, for all his problems, it made a Frankenstein of a movie of just a bunch of random stuff that happens. Um, and Snyder has a mishmash of ideas that he slammed together in a very loosely connected story. And people are saying that it's supposed to be this masterpiece and a tight movie. I don't see it. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, congratulations for, for finishing it, but four hours does not make a complete movie. Um, it's not the length of time that dictates a completed movie or or anything. There's a lot of problematic scenes. There's a lot of issues with it, honestly. There are numerous issues with it. The four-hour runtime, there might be a three-hour version of this movie, which is, which is pretty good. The four-hour version is a slog. It's most of it in slow motion. It's in slow motion. That's just sort of his stylistic thing. But when you apply it so much and in a movie this long, it becomes numbing. Um, you have it, it just it, it the first hour in particular, hour and a half is absolutely um debilitating. Like the you have it it it, it is just this mess of scenes that just go on and on and on the, the the worst offender that i can think of is that scene the first introduction of which there are two to aquaman this is another thing that uh this the snyder cut exposes is that it's he had a really good introduction of aquaman but he he just didn't focus on that we we meet aquaman as bruce wayne goes to get him um in this sort of uh norwegian somewhere in uh, the sort of northern europe fishing village and then aquaman takes his shirt off walks into the water and these women begin to sing and, and they don't begin sniff the sweater and sniff the sweater but they don't they don't just begin to sing they sing the entire song and this goes on for something like two or three minutes Awkward. and what what yeah um and you're at that point you know at that point you're sort of like I, I I might be out. I might be done with this. Um, and it just, it doesn't really get any better from there. I'll, I'll say the back half of the film, the climax is, is much more um, sufferable. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely true. Um, my wife and I, we were able to watch the latter half in one sitting where we had to split the front half. I think I watched it with her over three sittings. And then I had I watched the first hour uh, in two sittings before she joined in, so I got the lucky chance to watch the first hour twice. Oh dear! Oh God! It's that that it it was. There's just so many problems. You know, it it's this the biggest problem, and and I, I mentioned this on my. The other podcast I'm part of at the movie Newsnet with Alex and David. The biggest problem with this movie is that he's trying to make two different movies. He's trying to make the Lord of the Rings, which is 
as interesting as, you know, trying to make a Lord of the Rings version of a superhero movie. And he's trying to make the dark Knight. Those are two completely different movies. Those How are is he two making com- the dark Knight? He's basically making a Batman movie, which is the dark Knight, And he's doing it in his approach to all of the characters individually. So he's making this grounded down to earth, quote unquote, realistic take on these characters and you see this most egregiously i would argue in that first wonder woman scene where she interrupts this terrorist act which is depicted in random and it's depicted in a way that that's evocative of um christopher nolan and the dark knight films so along those lines i would say the problem with that isn't actually justice league but that was one of my criticisms to man of steel that was one of my criticisms to um the next one batman versus superman um and, and you know coming back to this particular podcast we've actually talked about this before in regards to optimus prime mm-hmm. who optimus prime was and how he what he stood for um in back in the 80s and now with this and the transformers are not even dark and gritty but they made optimus prime this face taker type thing which is weird in and of itself. Yeah. But then same with Superman, right? Like Man of Steel. You know, Superman has always been about hope and optimism, right? Like, this this is the guy who always knows the right thing to do. And, you know, he has the power to actually do it. But, you know, he always knows, right? And then you have Man of Steel, and that just completely misses the point. And well, I would say he, you're right. It does try to make it like the nolan's uh nolan's batman yeah and the problem is is that that zack snyder applies we've talked about this before in context of optimus prime and other superheroes as strongmen and zack snyder generally confuses superman for one of these characters he did it in man of steel he did it in batman v superman more muted here uh in in the snyder cut um mostly because superman is not in the snyder cut he's dead he's resurrected and then when he shows up he's he's pretty much superman he's a good guy and he punches the bad guys um the so those aspects are muted but this entire movie is built on the foundations of those earlier movies which as you just said um are extremely faulty foundations and this because he completely misunderstood snyder has superman and his entire mythos and that's embodied in the man of steel in a couple different scenes most notoriously the the scene with um uh paul kent where he's like yeah you should have let that school bus full of kids die yeah because that's what superman would have done yeah and what's what Zack snyder has has done is he's applied this sort of uh randian objectivist point of view that he applies towards generally everything. And I don't think Zack Snyder's politics are any secret. Um, I don't to, actually know them. So you might want to uh, refresh the audience or me. Um, Zack, Zack Snyder is a is an avowed libertarian who's a big fan of uh, Ayn Rand. Uh, okay. And his, his ambition has been for years to make a movie of the Fountainhead. Um, and so I'll, I'll leave that there. We won't get into, we won't get into the philosophy of objectivism to at least to the extent that, um, you know, 
it deserves, but I would, I think fair to say it's the, the summary, the summary on objectivism is you don't owe anybody else anything. With Superman, as you said a moment ago, that's not who Superman is. And that certainly is not who his father is at all. Yeah. Um, and this conflict that, that Cal Al goes through um, in, the, in both movies where it's this tug of war between himself, the plot, the themes in the movie, between does he owe anybody everything? And then after Pa Kent dies by suicide, question mark ish. in a tornado ish <laughs> in a tornado to prove a point to his son that was completely unnecessary in batman v superman snyder then has uh, martha kent his mother embody the same philosophy because when she says to him you don't owe this world anything that is not at all in keeping <laughs> with the values that um the Kents uh, raised their son with in the comic books. Look, can I just say this? You and I grew yeah. up in Iowa. We grew up in the Midwest. And yes. you know what? That is not a Midwest value. Ma and Pa Kent in the comics, Kansas farmers, and this idea of you don't know, you don't owe anybody anything. That's not a Midwest idea. Right? So, of course, it, it grates against us because what the hell like you don't have you don't have farmers in the heartland of america living like that you you can't you don't it's it's not a traditional western um western midwestern or a traditional american value there is a uh, there is a, a toxic strain of objectivism in uh, american culture at the moment which is which is embodied and things like the the voting restriction law that was just passed in Georgia, which oh, makes God. felony uh, giving a person who's standing in line to vote a bottle of water. Um, the last I checked, yeah, look, that's right. The governor um, just passed it. Yeah, um, the last I checked, that um, this was uh, giving giving water or food to people was was a Christian and a Catholic thing. So when Christians and Catholics pass laws like this, you kind of scratch your head. You, you also do other things, but. Um, yeah, I the, saw a Twitter post mm, about that actually. Someone pointed out like, wait a minute, giving food water, that is a Catholic act of charity. So in yeah. effect, this law is now actually making a law against a religion. It's anti-religious, hey, it's anti-Christian, it's pro-fascist. Yeah. Um, and the, there, there's a strain of fascism in the comic books that I think that Zack Snyder um, has based largely his, his view on these characters on. And, and they would be a series of comic books that came out in 1986 and 87, which have had a seismic influence. And we've talked about before on comic books in general, and they include The Watchmen, obviously, uh, Dark Knight Returns, which I think is the biggest influence of the three, and then finally Batman Year One. Um, the, the fascism that's inherent in some of what Batman does in those books, um, particularly Dark Knight Returns, is not meant to be representative of Batman as a whole because Dark Knight Returns is sort of a Elseworlds story that takes place in the future that is, it's, it's a take on his future. It's projecting into the future and in a particular moment. And there, there are 
the story is a classic story. It's not meant to be representative of Batman. Um, is, is, and is it canon? No, no. Um, although what is and isn't canon at DC anymore is who who knows? Do they we'll know? Just make because a new Earth about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the same way that Watchmen is, Watchmen takes place in its own universe, or at least it did um, it was until clock. yeah, until just recently. Um, but Alan Moore's basic idea with the Watchmen was that this is what happens when superheroes exist in the real world that they're they're awful. And the Dark Knight Returns, basically, it's it's its thing was what ha- what would happen if Batman really aged? What would happen? What would happen if Batman? You know, he was a real man, and he existed in this real space. Well, he became in many ways awful, as Superman did in this particular take. And I would argue that Frank Miller's take on Superman and Dark Knight Returns has informed Zack Snyder's thinking on Superman, in which he's this sort of stooge. But Zack Snyder has also confused Superman for this messianic figure. He's confused him for this Christ-like figure, oh, and Superman saw Super- how many scenes yeah. of, of Jesus Christ Superman. Yeah, and 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 Superman is not is not Christ, and he's not messianic. Um, very to be completely blunt about it, I mean he he's the Superman is the product of um, two Jewish kids who made up a, a character based literally on a, a German phrase, the Ubermensch, the Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, and his name, Kel-El. El is the, the Jewish word, the Hebrew word for God. One of the words for God. Um, there's nothing about Superman that was ever intended to be Christ-like, except that his values, I would argue, are very Christian, right? Yeah. Um, so the... But we don't get that. We don't get that in the Snyder Cut. And I don't have a problem at all with people applying a different take or a different interpretation of these characters. These are characters that are 80 years old in some cases and can withstand it. Batman obviously is a very elastic character and has been the subject of wildly varying takes. Superman, I think, is less elastic. But um I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with applying a, a point of view to Superman, which doesn't apply to him. You know, he's not an objectivist. Um, he's not, Superman would not subscribe to the Ayn Rand newsletter. Yeah. Um, and he, he's a product of classical Midwestern Christian traditional values. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this actually, I think even from the very beginning of this podcast, which is, there's uh, i don't neither of us have an issue with updating characters or having different takes on them but when it goes against the core of what the character meant in the first place then it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense it's not a different take on the character it's just a new character sharing the same name and it's just misunderstood and and zach snyder i would argue from my point of view and Zack Snyder is a filmmaker who, in general, I like. He's a fantastic visual stylist. Um, and he's uh, he's made some interesting movies. Um, he has a lot of... And I, this won't be a dissection of Zack Snyder's uh, filmography. But he... And with these films in particular, he's, he's confused a lot of things. He's confused Superman for what he is. 
um, he's confused at the actual movie he's making. So not, not only was the Warner Brothers confused about what movie they wanted to make, they wanted to be in the Avengers business. They wanted to make billions of dollars, right? They wanted everybody to come out of their movies going, I cannot wait till the next one. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen in large measure, not because they didn't have the characters, they do, but in, in Warner's doesn't have the, didn't have the problem that, that Marvel did, which is Warner's had all the DC characters under one roof. They, yeah. you know, where Marvel just recently was able to sort of miraculously pull all these guys back together. Yeah, never forget Iron Man was a B-list character before he started and an absolute hell mary throw to try to you know make something of the characters that they had the reason that iron man kicks off this the marvel cinematic universe is because that, that's what the toys? they had <laughs> well they didn't have the x-men they don't have the fantastic four now they do and that's and, you know this next 10 years will be very awesome for marvel fans yeah did, the you, did you ever hear that story of uh they were trying to decide which marvel character to kick off the mcu yeah and they gave kids a bunch of toys of captain america iron man thor and i can't remember some of the others but the kids all gravitated towards iron man because surprise surprise he was just like batman a lot of accessories a lot of toys you could make a lot of different versions very that's why they decided to make the iron man movie first yep totally and that's in in retrospect that combined with robert downey jr i mean obviously we're you know it's 13 13 years later um the the mcu is the mcu um but warners wanted to make they wanted to be in the business of, of making these huge blockbusters with these iconic characters you have batman you have superman you have wonder woman kudos to Zack snyder for bringing them all together in the movie and kudos to his casting Zack Snyder cast Gal Gadot, who is perfect as Wonder Woman. Um, I do like Ben Affleck as sort of the older Batman. And I do like Henry Cavill, although Henry Cavill never got a, a chance to, to really play Superman as, as I think you and I think of him and most people do. You see glimmers of it in the Whedon version of the is Justice League, the sort of brighter, sunnier, smiling Superman. Yeah. And I miss that actually from this. There's not a lot I miss about the Whedon version of this, but that sort of that version of Superman, I, I think, is missing. Like I, um, I gotta say, I I know it's unnecessary. I know it's a it's a dumb moment, but I liked seeing that Superman versus Flash race. Yeah, I. That's another one that sort of classic fun DC. These are two great characters who are fun characters. And that, that sort of giddy smile that they both have is the <laughs> racing. Um, you know, obviously a Whedon scene not included in this. Yeah, um, yeah I miss that too. I, I miss that version of Superman. Um, Zack Snyder just doesn't look at, obviously he doesn't look at Superman as anything other than this somber uh, Randian character who this, this sort of God who has to be shrugged off of his mountain to helping the plebs. Um, it, it utterly utterly mystifying and then in the context of the types of movies just to go back to my point about the types of movies that he's trying to make he's trying to make the lord of the rings which is again an, an interesting idea and the, the mythology of the dc comics which is vast and rich lends itself to this and he actually does it he accomplishes this in the flashback scene that involved the dark side fighting the assembled forces uh in sort of pre-earth history versus the Greek gods, the Atlanteans, the Amazonians, the, the, the armies of men. 
very Lord of the Rings ish, very sort of, you know, Sauron versus the, the first Alliance. Um, I like that. I did. I, I, I would have, I would have loved to have seen a movie like that, but that was a completely different movie than the rest of it. And it was also inherently had the same plot problems as the entire, how do you make a four hour movie and somehow still don't allow for a coherent plot? Help me out. Like somebody like what on earth? Anyway. I mean, I, I told you, I think he's got a Frankenstein movie too, right? Just as yeah. Eden, but a different type of Frankenstein's monster. He's got a mishmash of ideas that he doesn't know what he wants to develop. Um, I mean, we can go by piece by piece. It's like there are several problems, uh, problematic things that I really want to get out there because I don't see enough of it. But go ahead. Like, I feel like I've been talking. So. <laughs> no worries. I, I'm just trying to figure out how to kind of break into these problems that I have with this movie. But like um, one, you know, knowing that about. Zach, Zach Snyder and his Ayn Rand worship or libertarian ways, I can see now why he chose to cut um, this line of dialogue, but I think it's it was a huge mistake, and it's Batman save one. I thought that was such mm. a great moment because here's the Flash who is full of doubts, right? Because right before mm. he's like, I don't know what to do. I usually just run around. I push people and I run away. That's That's what I do. I'm just fast even batman said oh so you're fast like it's not a big deal right like that's his power so he doesn't know what to do and so for batman to go save one that's it i mean come on that is a beautiful optimistic point of view for a hero right it is and it, it's obviously a whedon scene um and then uh, emblematic of the fact that Barry doesn't really have an arc in the movie he does he does he's trying to sort of you know his dad is in prison it's very you know we get very quick scene we get that opening scene with him saving Iris which was oh my god I I hated that scene one it was unnecessary two holy crap is he pervy this scene is has a problem in in that um Iris is beautiful, but I don't think we'd want to have Barry, who has not even properly met her. He does this thing where he touches her face or, or touches her hair or something. Caresses her hair. Her and hair she's launched forward from she's about to a die. car accident where this dude was going after a sesame seed that was slow motion rolling off of a burger that was next to the gas pedal of a truck. Let's just say there are logic problems in, in the Snyder cut, and then there there are problems of of uh, in how he chooses to depict things. There, and again, won't get into the Snyder filmography, but there there are ways that he frames things, particularly women, that are for me um, problematic. Um, yeah, and I then th this that. is. Yeah. This scene is one that, you know, given the fact that Iris doesn't factor in, in the plot, I can see why this was cut in the theatrical because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't add anything. And it has this moment that is just awkward in so, so many ways. But there's this 
to, just to go back to my point I was going to make real quick about Barry and his his arc in the movie is Barry Barry ends the movie on this extraordinary display of power which is one of if not the coolest thing in the movie this is pure comic book superhero holy shit it's extraordinary moment it and it's wonderfully realized and completely unearned completely unearned there's no progression in barry in the movie relative to his powers and not only is the the moment you're talking about cut out of the movie where he's like he i don't know how to be a hero i don't know where to start i don't know what to do we don't ever see barry struggle with his powers he just runs and then at the end of the movie when the plot needs him to run at such a speed that he goes back in time he just does he has a very very quick moment and it's really to tell the audience like that's all it all that's all it serves when he goes back in mm-hmm. the spaceship goes to the very end goes to the engines and he's about to build up a charge to bring superman back to life you get that one line of dialogue that says i have this one rule i don't like to break it but when i go really fast i build up an energy charge and stuff happens with time mm-hmm. Yeah. That one line you're supposed to remember for the next uh, two hours. <laughs> you need yeah. to remember that line for two hours because at the four hour mark, that's going to pay off. Yeah, it's only reference to it. it. It's not good storytelling in the same way that the plot, the plot of the movie, there is actually a plot in the movie here, which is organic and you know that would be kind of fairly interesting the the problem is the movie doesn't have a point of view character it doesn't function in any way that that there's no tension in this movie there's no threat there's no the movie actually begins on Themyscira when Steppenwolf shows up to uh, take the mother box Um, this is actually the beginning of the movie this is the introduction of the threat this is the introduction of the plot MacGuffin and it establishes the stakes so Do you know when mo- that happens in the movie? It happens roughly about 45 minutes into the movie. So the attack on Themyscira, because I have the movie up right now. Oh, uh, it's got receipts. <laughs> it happens around 30 minutes. 30, okay, when, so I was off. Uh, is when Steppenwolf shows up at Themyscira. Now the attack, the whole attack takes about... 30 Four hours days. because it's all in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so it felt longer than it did. But um, so that's actually the beginning of the movie. And then if if I was in the room and that that's all, if I, and I was saying, you know, maybe what if we did this? The movie begins there. And then he, he demolishes the Amazons. He steals the mother box. And then Hippolyta launches this arrow to warn basically the world of men, to warn her daughter who she's not in contact with. And Diana receives the arrow and she learns the threat of dark side and she's in this panic. One, she can't go home, right? She can never go home. And two, what the fuck? What is going on? I got to go tell people about this. So she goes to Bruce. And Mascara doesn't have cell phones. Doesn't have cell phones. And so this is the movie and she goes to Bruce and she's the Bruce you know, like these aliens and mother boxes and shit. And Bruce's like, I'm just a dude. Like, I don't just dress up as a bat and I punch people in the face. What the fuck are you talking about? Aliens. I can't do this. Now we have your stakes for Bruce Wayne. He's just a man. He, he's very comfortable in what he does. He's very good at what he does. He is way, way, way above his pay grade in this movie. And it never, 
ever comes up. Never comes and, up. Yeah, and the other thing along those lines as well with uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman is this guilt he feels. Where'd that come from? You said it earlier on Earth. Mm. That just it's happened. Unearned. It just happened, and he feels it just his happened guilt because he and Superman share a mother's name. That's it. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, that 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 scene. You know what? We'll, we'll leave Batman v Superman to history. Um, that was just that was whatever. That whole movie was uh, suffered from the same plot issues as this one does, and the the motivations are completely wrong. The characters are all the same. Batman, Superman, Lex Luthor are all three the same guys. They're 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 all strong men who want to save the world and don't care how they do it. Lex Luthor, okay. strongman? Yeah. These okay. Lex Luthor is one of the most powerful people in the world. He's one of the smartest people in the world. And the, the problem with that movie is that he is that Snyder has confused all three of those characters for the same person. Yeah. And they're not. And <laughs> that carries over into this movie and then there's this movie is four hours long and doesn't have a linear or or or, uh, or a plot that's that's sort of organic it doesn't have any major characters for really any of the characters with the exception a cyborg who is the biggest beneficiary of the snyder cut and, and which in general i thought was okay um compared to what we, certainly we got and he got his weed and cut his arc definitely was well deserved first off um mm. it that was needed in the movie mm-hmm. in fact i would say this it was so needed how the hell did warner brothers think they were going to pull it off without that arc to to cut it out like it was so central to how the movie functions yep how how are you going to pull them out and um there's another youtuber that brought up a point that i thought was interesting cyborg got cut out iris got cut out and um uh oh the father cyborg's father got cut out silas yeah what is the one common element between all three of them i think there are two ways of looking at this one is is that um joss whedon apparently cut out all the people of color (laughs) yeah and and because there's an asian man as well that got cut out uh uh, and Ryan I forget his Choi, name. I think Ryan Choi, who becomes in the comics, is one of the versions of the Atom. Um, there's that, which is problematic given uh, Whedon's history, and then there there's the fact that to be um, to not not spare Zack Snyder that Zack Snyder chose to populate uh, the majority of the secondary characters in the movie with with a tangential at best connections to the plot with people of color. Yeah. Um, so problematic. So I guess both of those approaches were, were, were problematic because the, you have, you have a, a guy in Whedon who was brought in purely to cut down a movie to its bare bones and give, give Warner brothers a movie. And he cut out what he thought were probably the extraneous elements. And then I think at the same time, um, I think Whedon sort of, behavior in general is questionable and then you have Snyder who wanted to create a diverse cast and he but he populated it um with people of color in positions that um he to be completely blunt probably would have cut to 
if he had actually made the two hour version of the movie that um that he would have been obligated to in the beginning yeah i can see that Um, it's problematic on that end too and i also heard that um ryan fisher was cut out a lot of the movie as a like as a grudge because he was bringing up he was pointing out oh, these problems ray fisher yeah, yeah cyborg. Sorry, ray fisher um ryan Choi, ray fisher um yeah you know i think there's still so much about what ray fisher's exact issues other than he he's on the record accusing whedon jeff johns and then walter hamada i think i have that right um for warner brothers of some very not good behavior um he appears to have been very right about joss whedon um joss whedon, that way. um you know the exact details of ray fisher's experience haven't come out because he says he's under an nda which warner brothers says he's not so questions there but I, i'll just say with respect to ray um he appears to have been right on the money about joss whedon so um which is sucks because uh, um, you've known him since Buffy, right? Yeah, I've been a fan of Joss Whedon for a really long time, and I, Joss Whedon was definitely an, an influence on me as a writer. Um, so that was hugely disappointing, and and it's a disappointing in a lot of ways. We won't get into it today, and, and frankly, Joss Whedon, to be completely honest, doesn't merit the conversation anymore. Um, but he um, that would that was disappointing. Um, and so Ray Fisher, I think, did have some problems with the way that he was treated um, as Whedon came into the process. And then from Warners in general, I think, post that. And, you know, I, so good for him that in the Snyder Cut that his story, his entire arc was restored. And Ray Fisher is really good in this movie. And yeah. that the cyborg arc is, is, is pretty good. It does have, as all the Snyder stuff does, has a plot problem. So yep. about halfway into the movie, um, Cyborg realizes that he has the power to control uh, basically the internet and, and global finance. And he can give, as his father says, he can do anything with the, the money in the world. And he chooses not to do it. This is the same problem as the Flash, that Flash all of a sudden can run back through time. And he's like, okay, that's cool. It, it, and it just not addressed. <laughs> there's, there's this sort of megalithic powers and abilities that just sort of, you know, you look past. Um, yeah. So if that's a completely different, I would love to see just a, frankly, a cyborg movie, you know, I would love to see, you know, cyborg. Which I heard got canceled because yeah. of this ongoing litigation. Yeah. It, it's unclear as best I can tell um, that what the status of the cyborg movie ever really was. Um, he was scheduled to be in the, up the flash movie, which has become flash point which is actually going to be filming here soon, finally. Um, I don't know that it doesn't seem like Ray Fisher is probably going to be in these movies going forward, given his relationship with Warners, which sucks because I do like Ray Fisher and Cyborg's an interesting character. That would have been a good movie, a Cyborg movie that got into all that stuff and maybe better, better served for him and the franchise to have done the Marvel style part of the problem with justice league is that and this is not a Zack snyder problem um part of the problem with justice league is that warners wanted to microwave the mcu they didn't want to do what the mcu did which was to build you know organically here's a cap movie here's story here's and then we bring them together they were just like we got to get to the 
right away. And yeah. that led to the Batman v Superman that led to Justice League. So you have the the cyborg story, which is basically his entire movie, his entire origin is crammed into this one, right? Because yeah. this is the first time we meet cyborg. And so and then it all gets cut because it doesn't in the in the confines of a two hour movie with everything else going on. It doesn't really work. So I just from that point of view, let's give the man his own movie. Like let's build this organically. But you know, like they could have done. I mean, they did it with Aquaman. They introduced Aquaman in Justice League, but then after that, they gave him his own movie. Like you could have done it. You, you could, could have done it. You could have streamlined his. Like also with the Flash from the theatrical cut you got a really good sense of who Barry Allen is. Yeah, these all, as I was kind of saying there uh, just a little bit ago, I would, these, you, there is a two hour or a three hour version of this movie, which has a plot and it has, everybody has a character arc. Diana, I can't get home. I don't know what happens to my mom. Bruce, I, what the fuck? I, I, I can't do this. But what I do have is I have money and I, I know people. I, you know, right? And then yeah. Barry. I, I have these powers. I don't know how to be a good guy. I don't know what to do with my powers. Cyborg, what am I, right? Yeah. Aquaman, I don't, Aquaman's kind of thing is, is, is actually fairly good. It plays out in the Aquaman movies. Like, I don't know really where I fit in. I don't know really where I belong, right? I, I really I'm, like that moment between him and Wonder Woman when they were just chatting in the yeah. Snyder Cut. Yeah, I, you know, some of this, some of this works pretty well. And then Superman, the Superman thing is just broken because of his approach to the character, but also he chose to kill him off in Batman v Superman and bring him yeah. back, which completely hamstrung this particular movie. But Superman's story just in this movie, if we're going to play that out with the resurrection thing, he's like, he's back. And he's like, I, you know, I don't know, is this the world that I left? I think would be Superman's thing. Like, I don't, you know, I what's what is superman's vision of the world and they're like well this is alien invasion we kind of got to do that he's like well i can punch people yes you can so you know you know that was something else that i really liked in the whedon cut or the the theatrical cut is superman's line to batman you won't let me live you won't let me die i'm like ooh, that sounds menacing yeah holy crap <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting yeah and there's nothing sort of comparable here in the snyder cut he doesn't really have you know he doesn't he doesn't there's really nothing to superman in this movie except for you know he there is a fairly nice moment um when he goes into the ship and he's getting the, the black suit yeah the dad and with the, the dads, dads which I, th I i thought was nice yeah um and definitely 360 turn from what we were talking about with pot kent earlier from man of steel um so and i did like that um in the end the final battle the climax i thought actually was very good in the sense that it was very well done it was interesting it was a million times better than what we got in the whedon cut i think they used everybody pretty well i'm i'm always a fan um i love these characters i i, I have all my life and so anytime you have superman and wonder woman ganging up on some poor helpless villain that's pretty cool because they beat the shit out of this guy and it was i live for it i live for it like that guy once they all got together and aquaman too by the way was in that moment that that steppenwolf who is a very low tier by the way Apparently. Uh, character, uh you know uh, and from the new gods mythology from the fourth world very low tier but then you have dark side and i did like dark side showing up in this movie dark side is your big bad he's your thanos of the dc universe basically almost literally like isn't that yeah 
even in the 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 business side of it marvel and dc both created their purple giant titans it's funny there's actually some shared tissue here because um it was jim starlin who came up with thanos and he uh it has acknowledged that he maybe kind of lifted a little bit of thanos from dark side dark side um had uh come out of the mind of jack kirby in 1970 or 71 thanos just a couple of years later um so there's some shared dna there um and they both end up playing the, basically the same role in their respective yeah. universes although they didn't at first they neither of them were occupy the spot they do now but um thanos in particular was someone who took about 20 years to kind of get where to the where we kind of think of them today which is the sort of cosmic big bad um so i there, there are things i liked about the movie for sure and i do i do like sort of the setup as dark side as going to be the big bad going forward i hated though before we get we were kind of wrap up maybe i hated the ending what did you think of this the epilogue you're like your your mind is just like what happened. <sighs> yeah, I was like, wait a minute, let me rewind this entire yeah. slog and go back to the end. Okay, so the epilogue, um, it's a mess, just a mess. <laughs> the the nightmare scene did not need to happen at the epilogue. That should have been scattered throughout the movie as Batman ponders what's going to happen. That should have been hinted at as that was a that was actually what's going to happen if they fail to bring the ring to Mount Doom. Um, like there are a lot of different ways to have taken that, mm. uh, but in the epilogue is not the place for that. Um, that's one. Mm. Two, Martian Manhunter. Oh, jeez. Shows up, goes, "Hey, how's it going? I like what you guys did there. Yeah, I've been here the whole time." I didn't want to help, but now I do. Bye. Yeah, cool what? story, bro. <laughs> what? What? So, Barshan Manhunter is one of the most powerful uh, superheroes in the comics, and he he can wreck house. So, thanks for sitting out the entire alien invasion, and also the previous shit that went down before, because you were here the whole time. No, I appreciate it. You're awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, um, like, what? Yeah completely that, unnecessary that was um, and then the okay so this is going to take a little bit of time to explain no worries batman buying ma kent's house i'm okay with the overall idea of it mm-hmm. but again as an epilogue dude he apparently feels all this guilt about mm-hmm. killing superman but he's going to do absolutely nothing about it because remember, they had the same mother's name. Mm-hmm. He could, he knew where she was. He knew the yeah. bank had foreclosed on the house, but he didn't want to do a thing about it when it was that easy to just buy the dang bank. It it make it's another plot thing that doesn't make any sense. It would be it wouldn't be the last thing he did. It would be the first thing he did. Uh-huh. And Bruce's arc vis-a-vis Mark the Kent would be that he was doing too much. That scene early on in the movie would have been she's like you didn't need to do this. He's like, "Well, I feel responsible. I feel like I needed to do something." And then he's constantly doing things for her and she's like, "I kind of need you to stop." Like, you know. Give me some space, man. I need some space and also you don't have to do this. 
you don't you don't have to you know it's like my son was superman and he knew he knew what could possibly happen and that's when diana comes in yeah yeah and diana's like um stuff's happening and bruce oh no so it, it it did not and and then they have the the scene with lois and martha where Martha's revealed to be the Martian Manhunter in disguise, Complete also waste. Un- waste and undercuts Martha again. Yep. Um, because was she actually there? Does the Martian Manhunter know that she uh, is behind on her payments to be able to say that? Yeah, and and also uh, another thing that Martian Manhunter is like whatever on, and then and then also frankly, Lois, I, there's a lot I hated about this scene. Um, and then Lois Lane's sort of arc where she sort of, I have no problem that Lois Lane is in grief. Obviously she is. Lois Lane is the type of woman, the type of character who, um, she's the woman who would go into work the next day after Superman died. Yep. She would. And I've, I, I've known that person and I've met that person. That's the person she is. And she just buries everything and she just goes back to work. She did that she, in the comics. Yeah. She's not, she doesn't do what she does in the movie. And um the suggestion, the overwrought suggestion that she's pregnant and, you know, with the, <laughs> that there, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of, and then knowing what Zack Snyder planned to do, which apparently he, he had one point wanted to have in this movie, he wanted to have Bruce and Lois have an affair um, and then have this confusion over whose baby it was. And this baby was going to grow. It was just like, this is sort of the, the Wait, sort of the, Bruce, teenage, I, yeah. I just, the, the yeah. names that you just said, kind of the clicked in my head bruce wayne yeah lois lane yep have an affair and she's pregnant by him yeah and then after superman dies yeah that was his feels guilty about it yeah that was his original idea for the movie which warner brothers is like no no you cannot do that it's it's so terrible it's it's awful it's it's stupid it's there's so many there's so many so many things wrong but this is the point again of all of these characters it does and i I feel like we've probably underlined that a few times um (laughs) so maybe we might we might kind of wrap up there uh today's episode as far as um the snyder cut was not for us um cool if you liked it um but I, I personally am ready to, I'd want to see some different movies about these characters from different people. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on all that, Suzy? So many, so many, but it would take four hours. <laughs> mm. That's the thing. It's like uh, one thing I guess you have to give Snyder credit for is you gave, he gave you something to talk about. Like, you know, like I've had uh, plenty of conversations about this movie and about Snyder, this whole ethos. And I, I think it's worth pointing out that it's um, if his intent was to generate some conversation or dialogue, he certainly did. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's just because but I, I think if um, his uh, the original sin of the DC cinematic universe was to entrust it to Zack Snyder, who I think would have made a really, really good Batman movie but um, was not the right architect for uh, the, the greater sort of DC universe project, you know? Um, uh, not by a long shot. 
No. So I think they, they're moving on. That's for the best. Although I'm very bummed just yesterday, they announced that um, Avid Verne and uh, Tom King had been putting together this new gods movie, which would have focused entirely on the new gods, the fourth world. That's not going forward. That that's a huge bummer. I was really looking forward to that. I don't know what the problem there would have been. Um, Is this DC's version of Marvel's The Eternals? Um, they're basically the same thing, and that's just because Jack Kirby created them both. Um, you know, um, Kirby created the New Gods for DC, and then later created Kirby later created the Eternals. Um, Kirby was sort of sort of exploring the same ideas again and again. And he sort of the early Marvel universe, he's exploring all these ideas of gods. And, and that, that came out through a lot of the Thor mythology. And it came out through a lot of his original ideas for new gods were ideas he had for Thor. He held on to um, Galactus, things like that. And then he gets into new gods. He leaves Marvel for DC. Then he comes back to Marvel. DC treats him like junk. And then he comes back to Marvel, the Eternals, they, they all kind of, the whole mythology, the greater mythology of the Eternals and the, um, the Celestials and all of that is very similar. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, so I think people are going to get confused about which one is which and what universe they're watching. I mean, they might, yeah, you know, your casual fan, I think, is going to be like, well, this all feels familiar, but then again, with superheroes, it probably all does, because it's, it's another dude in a cape or something, so. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, well, folks, we might leave it there for today, um, today's conversation. Um, go Definitely, if you're, if you haven't already um, exited this podcast, I mean, go back and check out our uh, previous conversations, where we kind of talked about similar stuff, where we talked about the idea of sort of superheroes as strongmen, we kind of got into a deeper dive on that when we were talking about not just Optimus, but other characters in particular, Superman. And um, we've talked about other superheroes in relation to their action figures before, like Black Panther and um, Spider-Man. So check check out those. You can find me at my website, um, DarbyHarn.com, um, where you can find out about my books where I shockingly write about superheroes. And then um, on Twitter, at DarbyHarn, if you're nice. And uh, if you want to, if you want us to continue talking about this four-hour slog, please let Darby know. And <laughs> yeah, like uh, you know, or if uh, people actually have uh, maybe topics they they wouldn't mind see covered, um, you know, um, yeah. I I you know these are all sort of they sort of different currents in the same stream, so. Let us know. So uh, for we'll leave it there, folks. Um, for now, take it easy. Uh, wear a mask. Wash your hands. Get vaccinated if you can. Yep. Take care, everyone. And take for me, good night.